Hello, friends. Welcome to Understanding Kindness, a podcast hosted by me, Danny. I'm someone who approaches life by learning from everyone around me, and I've decided to write it all down and talk about it here with you. I've learned that in order to create change in this world, we need to understand ourselves and the world around us, all while infusing kindness into everything we do. If I can do it, you can do it, and we can do it together. Welcome to Understanding Kindness. Hello, this is editor Danny uh, coming at you to just let you know that the audio on this episode is uh, not the greatest. I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm still trying to figure out my recording situation at the moment and get a good, uh, you know, booth that's more soundproof. So thank you for bearing with me. I hope that you still enjoy the episode. Hey there, buds. I'm starting a two-parter here today. At least that's where my brain's at right now. We'll see if it expands or contracts or morphs into something else. But for now, this is part one. I'd like to discuss the thinking process today. I want to talk about my experience with how I've gone through the thinking process, what I've learned about it, and how I'm changing how I go through it now. This understanding and metamorphosis around the thinking process that I'm going through changed my life in ways that I am forever grateful for. I hope that me sharing my experience with you will help you be able to learn and grow too. That's actually my hope for each episode and just also this one too. Anyway, here's this episode on the thinking process for you. For today's Native segment, I'd like to highlight a recent episode of the Warrior Life podcast with Pam Palmiter. I've mentioned Warrior Life before in episode 42 on water, and I've continued listening to the podcast and just finished the episode titled Confronting Systemic Racism in Healthcare. In the episode, Pam discusses the plethora of information they've gathered on the racist healthcare system in so-called Canada. Since the Warrior Life podcast is about indigenous life and culture, the focus is on anti-indigenous racism, though it still also addresses racism at large. Pam goes into details about the statistics surrounding healthcare in quote-unquote Canada, laws that go unenforced, practices that do get enforced, and the definition of genocide according to the United Nations. There are five ways that a state can commit genocide, according to the UN, and one need only commit one in order for it to be considered genocide. Unsurprisingly, to me and most, if not all, indigenous folks on Turtle Island, so-called Canada is actively participating in and enforcing genocide of native peoples every day. Whether it's the active removal of indigenous peoples from their lands by the RCMP, the foster care system taking away native children from their families, banishing natives to live on reserves, locking them up in prison, underfunding and refusing to support native communities during a pandemic, or actively withholding healthcare services to indigenous populations, it's clear that Canada is continuing to genocide natives. Yet, nothing is being done about it. The UN hasn't swooped in and liberated all oppressed peoples from under the Canadian government's rule. The Canadian government itself hasn't realized what they're doing and decided to change. The members of the RCMP haven't taken a stand against the oppressive oppressive system they're enforcing and stopped causing harm. It's up to individuals to realize that the state will never stop enforcing its imperialist regime over its citizens and those who it wants to eliminate because they threaten their regime. 
non-natives, especially white people, need to hold these systems accountable if they're going to be around, and we need to support indigenous sovereignty. This means supporting natives' rights to self-determination and autonomy, and, most importantly, land back. The racism that is perpetuated by governments is a result of the state coming in and stealing land from its original caretakers. Governing states will always continue to enforce its regime by any means necessary to stay in power. We need to remove power from the state and hand it to the native peoples of whatever land the state is occupying. This can start with individual actions that you can take, like listening to this episode of Warrior Life to better understand the nuances of racism within the healthcare system, specifically in so-called Canada. You can start by listening to more stories from Indigenous peoples and supporting their work by giving them money, sharing their stories, and or responding to their calls to action. If after listening to this episode of Warrior Life you think of a community that needs to hear this information, consider hiring Pam to speak at an event on the topic. This episode is both informative and experiential. It centers the stories of natives in the Atlantic region of quote-unquote Canada and informs on how they're being oppressed. We need to listen to more stories like this one. I'll link this episode in the show notes. Yo, it's patron time! Thank you all very much for your support and money. It means so much to me that people support me doing the thing I love the most. Thank you. If you'd like to support the show, visit Patreon for monthly donations or PayPal for one-time and recurring donations. There'll be links for both in the episode notes. Okay, so, thinking. I do a lot of this, I've had many thoughts in my life, and I find that I continue to have more. I love thinking. Always have. Probably a result of growing up most my adolescent life alone. Many times I was the only one around to entertain myself, and I got to thinking a lot. Also, I have this thing called aphantasia where I can't see pictures in my mind's eye, so all the information in my brain is basically just words. Lots and lots of words. I've thought a lot in my life, and this is how I've recently been thinking about how I've thought and learned to think. I've talked about how I learned that speed is key while reading early in my education. I'm now thinking that that speed is key thing also got imparted on me in many other aspects of my life, including the thinking process. Since I've long been a thinker, I was able to think through things and come to conclusions very quickly on my own. I enjoyed this, I was good at it, and I was praised for it, even if not explicitly, by the society around me. We're taught many mnemonic devices in order to remember things more quickly. Little associations we make in our minds that allow us to come up to conclusions faster. Sometimes these can be helpful, like righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Other times they can be hurtful, like racial stereotypes. We can automate our thinking process. We can see something happen and, based on all other experiences we've had, automate what we believe the outcome will be and how we will react because we've seen this, done this, been here before. This automated thinking and many mnemonic devices utilize a concept that has infiltrated most of our minds in the so-called U.S., binary thinking, also known as black and white thinking. We're taught things are either this or that. No nuance involved, no gray areas, only right or wrong, good or bad. Thinking in this way allows us to make quick decisions and quick judgments, which can be helpful in tight situations and survival instances. They're not so helpful when it comes to things that involve lots of nuance and consideration, which 
I would argue, are most things in life. It's easy to see the appeal of this process to me because it saves time. As human animals living under white supremacist capitalism, we're always looking to save time in any way we can because our time isn't our own time. Side note, real quick, I just find it funny that I was in no way planning on talking about capitalism in this episode, and alas, here we are. I mean, I guess I should have known better considering I'm talking about how we think in the so-called US and of course our thinking is corrupted by capitalism. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so our time isn't our own time. This is a concept that I must discuss so we can get to the next point pertaining to the thinking process. Under capitalism, most of us must have jobs in order to survive. The capitalistic state that we live under in the so-called United States withholds essential resources from us if we do not make quote-unquote enough money, and enough here is defined by the state usually or independent companies, which themselves sway the state by bribing state representatives. So because the state withholds these resources from us, unless we give them enough money, we must have a job or some way to make money to give to the state to literally live. Why do you think being unsheltered has such a negative stigma around it? If any of us were in that situation, all we would want is empathy from others. Instead, we tend to look the other way when we see our unsheltered relatives asking for help. This is not an inherent reaction in the human animal's mind. We're social creatures and, therefore, empathetic creatures, naturally. The negative stigma around unsheltered people has been placed in our minds. It's been told to us over and over again by the state that has every reason to do so. Unsheltered people generally aren't playing into the state's capitalism, which it needs to run and stay in power. Most unsheltered people aren't creating or circulating money, so therefore have no intrinsic value to capitalism, which only strives to gain forevermore. Which is actually impossible. So, if most of us need jobs to live, we know that we must spend time working for someone who can give us enough money to live. Many times, this means we're on a schedule whether that's at a working-class job or at a 40-hour workweek office job. We're expected to be somewhere for much of our time on this planet. There isn't much space for free time since we're either giving our time away or thinking about how we'll have to give our time away in the future. This is how our time is stolen from us. Because we're thinking about how we need to be someplace in the future, we are sucked out of the moment. Thus, our time is being stolen. This very likely may seem like a completely absurd idea. How could it be so if we think about the future when planning things? And what about when we think about fun things happening in the future? Things we've planned to do of our own accord? Even if these are things we're looking forward to, thinking about the future, and the past, always takes us out of the moment. This doesn't mean that our time is being stolen, though, since these instances pertain to our lives and who we are as people. They bring us joy, or just evoke emotion in general. Thinking about a time in the future when you have to work for someone else only because you need money to live or having flashbacks to a bad day at work steals our time away. The dread that I feel when thinking about having to go to work, even though I enjoy my job, sucks and is the key indicator that my time is being stolen. I'm very privileged in that I do not work a 40-hour work week and I get to spend parts of my week working on something I love. I enjoy the place and my coworkers at the place I work to make money. That doesn't mean I'm not upset when I have to leave my daily life to go to work only because I have to earn money to live. 
I work less than most people in the quote-unquote U.S., and I still think we need shorter work weeks. And everyone should agree, why wouldn't you want to work less if you're paid that same amount? You'd have more time to yourself. And that's what we really need. We need to take back our time. Whether you work on spending less money or adjust your lifestyle, I definitely think it's worth trying to figure out how you can spend less time working for someone else. Taking our time back is essential to working on our thinking process because we need to be able to not worry as much about how much time we're taking. We're going to need to slow things way down. My biggest key to changing my thinking process was to slow down. A lot. Slowing down my reading really helped with this since I was already taking more time to understand what I was reading. I had to get to the root of where my speed is key thinking came from and I believe it was tied to reading. So when I slowed down how I was reading, I naturally took more time to process what I was reading. I read things over and over again to make sure I was understanding the information I was taking in. This was a helpful unlearning process that helped spark the unlearning of how I think. It wasn't just relearning to read for comprehension that has helped me along in the relearning of my thinking process. I think meditation has helped me a lot with this as well. Meditating allows me to slow down. It helps me remember that I can take my time, especially if it helps me understand more. If you're up for it or into it, I'd suggest practicing meditation and mindfulness to help you along in your journey with the thinking process as well. So coupling these learned behaviors together, I'm more able to take my time in general. I've been working on not automating my thinking process. I want to be able to have more control over what I say and how I act. Slowing down my thinking process and taking my time to think before I speak or act is how I've been working towards this. It has been a process and I'm not always perfect with it either. When I'm with people that I'm most comfortable with, this is much more difficult. It's work to constantly be mindful of how you're thinking, and it's important that we take time to be mindless to help balance this out. It's nice to be able to do this with people you're close to or comfortable with since they'll be the most understanding, hopefully, when you're acting or speaking in a more automated way. I personally have gone about 26 years thinking the way that U.S. society has taught me to. I've been working to automate my thinking process for years and years, and without much input of any other thinking processes. Keeping this in mind helps me realize that this unlearning process will take time and energy. It's okay that we're not on top of it all the time. It's difficult. It is worth it, though. As I've been working on this more and more over the past, I don't know, six months, a year, who knows? Not too, too long, though. I've found that I'm in much more control over what I do and what I say. This is mostly true in situations where I don't know the person I'm with very well. I found it difficult to be on my game with this when I'm with people that I'm comfortable with, but that's usually how these things go. When we're comfortable, we tend to slip into old habits, which is okay. It's natural and necessary at times. Like I said, we need to balance out the mindfulness with mindlessness so that we don't overdo it and become completely discouraged. You can do anything. We all just need to take our own time. For me, when I'm actively trying to work on slowing down my thinking process, I first try to remember that when I'm getting input from someone or somewhere, i.e. in a conversation or while watching something go down, I don't have to respond immediately. As I mentioned earlier, this doesn't pertain to survival settings or tight situations. 
So most of the time, we do not need to react immediately. I try to remember that I can keep watching or keep listening. I can also take as much time as I need to think through things before I respond. Many times I'll be thinking about how to respond when I remember that I don't need to do or say anything right away, especially if I'm not sure how I want to respond. I found it much more helpful and less harmful when I take my time to respond. Oftentimes, when my thinking process is automated, I end up saying or doing things that I wouldn't have wanted to say or do otherwise. This has always been upsetting to me, and I found that slowing down allows me to avoid this. It's helped in my relationships and interactions across the board. I feel much kinder and more aware and in control of myself when I remember to slow down. There can sometimes be pressure that we feel when taking our time because society at large has told us we need to be quick and in a hurry and that pressure can come from someone else or from ourselves. This is something that will inevitably come up when we're practicing this skill. It's uncomfortable. We can get through it though. Keep with it and you'll find that it becomes easier and easier the more you do it. Most of us in the so-called United States have learned to automate our thinking process. Whether it's with little axioms or broad stereotypes, we've learned to quickly assess things by using binary thinking that tells us if something is good or bad. In doing so, we can cause harm, especially when in situations where much more thinking is necessary. In order to be able to get to a point where we aren't reliant on this automated binary thinking, we need to learn to slow things down. We've got to get over the hump of thinking that slowing down is bad or makes us dumb. It's a society that does not want you to be thinking about things that will teach you and perpetuate that speed is key. Slowing down our thinking process, therefore, is revolutionary. It opens so many avenues that allows us to access so much more, especially parts of ourselves. Slowing down my thinking process has allowed me to find parts of myself that I didn't know were waiting to be rediscovered. I've been much more able to find who I am and live by my ethics. I've been happier. I'm able to understand so much more about who I am and how the world works. I've been able to navigate relationships and tough situations with much more ease. Sure, I had to get over the awkward, uncomfortable hump, but it was so worth it. If we want to be better people, if we want to be a better society, we need to take our time. Take back your time so you're able to really slow down and unlearn some things. This process does not take place overnight, and it shouldn't. It's all about taking our time and relearning what it means to understand and comprehend. We all have the capability to do this at our own pace. We must be kind to ourselves during it and remember that we can take as much time as we need. All we gotta do is learn to slow down. Boom. It's recommendation time. Only got one recommendation for you again today. I highlighted an episode of Warrior Life titled Confronting Systemic Racism in Healthcare. To hear some info on the Canadian healthcare system and how it is racist, specifically towards First Nations, check out this episode. I'll link it in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help support the podcast. All this content is free, and I'd love to make it my job one day. So if you're financially able, join our Patreon or send a one-time or recurring donation through PayPal. You can also share an episode with family or friends and give UK a kind rating and review. Check out understandingkindness.com for all episodes, transcripts, and blog posts. And why not take a listen to my other podcast, Better When Awkward, co-hosted by my childhood best friend, Jasmine. Get in touch with me by emailing understandingkindness at protonmail.com or through social media. 
You can find all links in the episode notes. For now, be kind, be compassionate, be understanding, and question everything. I'll be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Understanding Kindness.